Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interviewed Derek Emsley, co-founder and CEO of Tentree. Tentree is what Derek describes as a tree planting company that happens to sell apparel. And the results reflect that statement. Since they've launched in 2012, they've planted almost 50 million trees. And by the time this episode drops, they might actually hit that 50 million tree planted milestone. And in the episode, Derek and I will discuss how him and his co-founders actually came to start Tentry. Pitching on Dragon's Den, the shark tank of Canada, their goal of planting 1 billion trees by 2030 and how they plan to get there. And lastly, the different strategic initiatives that they'll be exploring over the next few years. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Derek Emsley, co-founder and CEO of Tentry. Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me. Hey, man. So for the few people who might be unfamiliar with Tentry, can you just briefly explain what Tentry is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tentry is a tree planting company that sells apparel. We kind of, the way that we approach it is that we create the most sustainable product that we possibly can. It's product that we want people to be able to connect to the outdoors, get outside, enjoy nature and inspire them to protect it. And for every product we sell, we plant 10 trees. And to date, we've planted just shy of 50 million. Probably in the next month, we'll hit the 50 million trees planted mark. Oh my God. Dude, you actually beat me to the jump because I was on your LinkedIn and I saw that by 2016, you hope to plant 10 million. I was like, huh, I wonder what the figure is now. 50 million. <laughs> Yeesh. Yeah. Um, what's, what's bonkers? So it, it's funny. Whenever I have someone on the show, I always rewind just to get a sense of how they broke in to the industry. Why is sustainability part of the DNA? And I think unlike other founders, you were really first to market. Starting in 2007, you were the co-founder and co-president of Greenfield Carbon Offsetters. So my question for you is, rewinding back over a decade, what was the initial eureka moment for you? That was going to be a category worth exploring and then ultimately starting your own enterprise. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny when you're kind of a team of one or two, like we were with Greenfield, it's, it's easy to give yourself an impressive title. But um, <laughs> that was a, a company that I was back in high school, actually. And my brother and I kind of, we had a lot of people coming to the school and they were telling us all about how this was around the time of inconvenient truth, Kyoto protocol, kind of cap and trade systems and things like that. And a lot of people were talking about how, especially in Canada, where really resource driven economy and things like that, where we just weren't going to be able to hold up our end of the bargain. And there was a lot of people that were talking about doom and gloom, and it just felt like nothing was really being done about it. And we kind of not really knowing what we wanted to do for our summer uh, jobs, decided, why don't we try to create something that 
help solve for this. So the idea was to buy a piece of land outside of our hometown and plant as many trees as we could on it and sell carbon offsets. And we ran the business for about four or five years, planted 150,000 trees and partnered with a number of different groups across Canada. And ultimately, it never really developed into what we could, what we hoped because the carbon market never really developed. Kyoto didn't really turn into what a lot of people had expected. But it, it introduced us to this world of tree planting. And I think what kind of came out of it was a few things. One was that there was a lot of people that were focusing on this like negativity of the world ending. And trees really served as this sort of beacon of hope we felt and really resonated with people and, and people loved the story. But the other piece was that there was a lot of people that were in this world that couldn't grow and they couldn't scale that message. And so it was five or six years later when we were kind of coming out of university that myself and our co-founders said, why don't we create a business? Why don't we create a product that mm -hmm. allows us to plant trees? So let's not build something that's based on handouts, whether it be a, a not-for-profit or based on a government program. Let's actually build something that allows us, build a brand that allows us to facilitate that impact. And that impact for us has always been trees. That is so, it's so funny. It looks like we're roughly the same age. Back in high school, I'm over here killing things on, on Call of Duty every night, every weekend. <laughs> You're over here in high school, creating your own company, planting over 150,000 trees. I mean, dude, there, there's no surprise. I think now looking in hindsight, that 10 tree is really one of the kind of major manifestations of what appears to be like a an ethical, intellectual, commercial interest. When you're starting Tentry, because I think another interesting chapter right around the starting it, you were a merchant banking analyst. But you mm -hmm. did that for just a few months. So I can see there's an overlapping timeline there. So explain to me the leap from the analyst job to saying, you know what, I want to operate and go after Tentry full time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the fortunate thing that I had in my background and, and frankly, in, in the founding of Tentry was we had a great sort of group of co-founders. So my brother, he really understood the social media, the marketing side of things. My other co-founder, Dave, was an incredible sort of salesperson and could really just sell you the shirt off your own back. And then our other partner, Stephen, had incredible understanding of e-commerce and what it took to make that successful and technology as a whole. And I think for us, like what really moved the needle was that we had this group of people that were all as passionate about creating a company that could make an impact as, as I was. And we all brought a different skill set to the table. And so for me... Mm -hmm. My, like you said, very short stint uh, in banking gave me perspective around how to build a company sustainably, how to finance a company operations. It was in this private equity world of, of kind of creating businesses from a very disciplined lens. And so that was the piece that I was able to bring to the business as well. And once we kind of got it off the ground and were selling some shirts to people that weren't our immediate friends and family, it was time for us all to dive in. And we just, we kind of jumped at the opportunity to build something, moved back into our parents' basement and tried to see if we could build something special. Dude, that is 
amazing. When I was doing research on the company, uh, I just did a simple YouTube search to say, hey, what, what interviews could I find of Derek? And I'm sure you've gotten this before, but one of the first results is you and your co-founders on Dragon's Den. And for <laughs> yeah. the listeners, Dragon's Den, I believe, and I think it's still running in some capacity, but it's like the, the Shark Tank counterpart in Canada. Yeah, I think it was actually even before Shark Tank. It's the Shark Tank before the Shark Tank. Incredible. Talk me through um, that experience because on the show, it seemed like you guys were a few months in already doing fairly well, like six figures in sales right around that time. I don't know if they show this or if you can confirm it or not, but I I know, I mean, there was a, a couple dragons that were jumping at the opportunity did you end up partnering with them? Talk me through that little chapter in the early inklings of the the Tentry journey. Yeah, and that was uh, a <laughs> what, what I think Dragons Den offered for us was one. It, it got us in front of an audience that otherwise we we likely couldn't have gotten in front of. It, it put us in front of millions of Canadians. Well, frankly, when we had no business getting put in front of them. And and so for us, it was, it also kind of forced us to, in, in a lot of ways, just get our shit together. Like we were just running around kind of doing whatever we felt needed to be done. But this said, okay, if we're going to be successful on this show, we actually need to understand our numbers inside and out. We need to understand our growth plan. We need to understand what sort of trajectory we're going to be talking about. And so it, it just kind of forced us to actually not professionalize because I think it was still too early for that, but to actually take a more disciplined lens to what we were doing. And on the show, you're right. We got a, a lot of interest. A lot of people were excited about this. We also had people on the show uh, from a dragon standpoint that didn't really believe at this stage in sort of the sustainability. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because there's so much behind the scenes that you don't see in that. And, and a lot of it came down to us going back and forth and talking about why is sustainability good business. And, and a lot of the the narrative that he was talking about was you're destroying shareholder value because you're frankly taking money out of the hands of the shareholders and putting it into some sort of give back. But our point was that the business exists to create value for the planet. The reason we built this business was to plant trees, not to sell apparel. And you know, we wouldn't have a customer to serve. We wouldn't have shareholders to provide value for if it wasn't for the trees that we were planting. It was a really cool experience. And we got a number of offers. We accepted one on the show. But I think like with a lot of those types of uh, deals that happen on the show, it didn't end up going through in sort of due diligence and that sort of thing, which in hindsight, really fortunate that it didn't. But a lot of them have actually been big supporters of the brand ever since. So we're wow. fortunate for that. I love your positioning of a tree planting company that happens to sell merchandise. I, I, I really love that type of messaging. The clearest analogy, I, I don't I mean I don't mean to compare Tentry to Gary V, but I remember him always talking about, at least from someone who operates a large uh, media agency, is the quicker that brands realize that they are uh, a media company, comma, that happens to sell X. The quicker I, I think they can connect the dots between like try and success. And I think the self-awareness that y'all have around what you are doing and that the product you're selling is just a means to the end. But I think what 
maybe you're being humble about is I think maybe with Tom's as another reference point, y'all are really, A, probably one of the most successful executions on the buy and will do X models, but two, just super early to the model. You can see today there's plugins now that let brands designate a percentage of every sale that goes to a cause of their choosing and things of that nature. But I mean, it's quite literally baked in <laughs> to the brand name of yeah. Pentry. Yeah, we weren't so, very original uh, when we came up with the name. <laughs> so I've been waiting for this moment, but how did you guys land on that? How did all of these different variables that y'all were considering and exploring end up with Tentry the model and Tentry the name? Yeah, I think it's a few things. One is our background was trees. So at the end of the day, we we were trying to create a business that allowed us to plant trees. We weren't trying to create a business that needed a sustainability angle and trees was just a convenient one. We, we wanted to plant trees and the product, the brand, the business was intended to be the vehicle to allow us to do that. At the end of the day, the reason that we exist as a company is to plant trees. I think what when it comes down to the number and the, and everything about that, like for one, we, it was really about early days. We said, what is the most we can do? What, what is the most good we can do and still create a viable business model? And so it was effectively us looking at it and saying, how much do we need to keep the lights on? Let's ensure we give as much back. Let, let's take the entire Delta and let's put that towards our give back engine. And then the other thing that I think is kind of about what you said about the Gary Vee and creating a media company, like for us, we our, our focus has always been, even before the product again, on the community. It's been about creating this community of people because back in the day when we started the business, it was 2012. And to your point, like it was a lot more novel then than it maybe is today. But there was a lot of people that were telling narratives that were either one, super challenging to sort of, it, it wasn't tangible. It was like donating a percentage of proceeds or organic cotton instead of regular cotton. It was things you couldn't touch and feel. And Tom's is maybe an example of somebody that on the social side created something that was a little more tangible, but nothing had been done on the environmental side. And so trees really provided that opportunity. And the other piece was that a lot of the messaging was super disempowering. It was the world's ending. Let's do a little bit. Let's like let it last a little longer or look at all the destructions happening. We wanted to get rally people around the idea of you can have an impact because our big belief was that the world doesn't get changed by a million perfect environmentalists. It gets changed by billions of imperfect ones. And we wanted to create this community around that. And then it kind of came to the product and the product is the vehicle. It's the sort of unifying thing that everybody can look to and say, I'm a part of that tribe. And for us, it's been such an evolution for us of not just creating a product that you know has our logo on the chest, but actually creating the most sustainable product, the most ethical product we can through our entire operations, our entire supply chain too. Wow. So we had Ryu on the show uh, last week, actually, 
Ryu is a new kind of women-owned, women-made uh, fashion accessories brand. And we talked a bit about some of the practices that are commonplace in the industry more broadly. For example, a lot of the, the luxury brands will opt to burn their product, millions of tons of product, because they fear if it gets resold at a lower price, it knocks the perceived value of the brand, right? That is their default decision. And that's just one symptom or one example of one of the many issues that are pretty commonplace in the fashion industry more broadly. So uh, to your point about being more sustainable, more ethical, how does that actually manifest in actuality? Can you explain or illustrate what y'all do that distinguishes you from the quote unquote kind of more destructive traditional fashion brands that exist today? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting area to consider because there's also the perspective that you can't consume your way to sustainability. And for us, we've been on a journey with this too. We didn't know a thing about apparel when we started the business. We had to learn all this. And so for us, it was really about first, okay, we, the pro, our sustainability comes through planting trees. And the tree planting provides jobs, food security, poverty alleviation, all these incredible things. But it was probably a few years in where we actually, somebody came to us and they said, why don't you make your product sustainably? And we kind of said, what does that mean? <laughs> Again, we're not, we weren't product people. And so it, we kind of went through this reflect, this period of reflection where we said, oh, we need to be focusing on making our, if we want to live up to the values that we're trying to set out to be, we need to make our product just as sustainably or live up to the mission of the tree planting side. So we went through this journey where over the course of about 18 months, we went from, we overhauled our entire supply chain and effectively moved from call it very little sustainable product, if any, to almost 100%. And today our product is 100% sustainable. Where We've also done life cycle analyses on our products to ensure that from a waste water consumption and carbon footprint, our product is as much as 50% to 75% better than a conventional product. And then in addition to that, we're looking at a number of different things to say, for one, you're planting 10 trees with every product you sell. So that product theoretically is far beyond carbon neutral. It's mm -hmm. well into the category of carbon positive. But at the end of the day, we also believe in some of the impact that some of these, the, the initiatives around carbon finance can have to impact change as well. And so we're looking at, at ways to actually make our operations carbon neutral in other ways and then have tree planting be an addition to that to actually make our product climate neutral. And then in, so we work with great factories. We've partnered with incredible factories. We've helped them certify and elevate their own sustainability and ethical practices. We've worked with fair trade. We, and then as well, we just, we do everything we can to reduce the footprint or the impact of other things in our supply chain. Like we removed all poly bags 
from our supply chain a number of years back. And it's millions of poly bags that we've, uh, that we've removed. And we actually had to work with some of our retail partners to get them on board with it because they never worked with a brand that didn't ship them products in poly bags. We, we used a, a little tie to actually tie the products up so that we we're reducing the footprint of our total supply chain. Whoa. Man, that's so neat. But even as someone, if you look at, if you go to tentry.com, I don't know if y'all get comparisons to companies like Patagonia. I mean, certainly when it comes to being impact first, right? And happen, and you also happen to do or create XYZ. But I think what really separates you from the pack, you have this tab in the header called Climate Plus. And I'm clicking into it. I'm seeing all these really interesting takes and initiatives and how, like you just said, you go kind of above and beyond the baked in buy one plant 10 tree model. You have all these really unique partnerships with other brands, with other celebrities and athletes. Can you unpack what Climate Plus is? Yeah. Yeah. I I think for us, it, it was first a realization that our goal as a business is to plant a billion trees by 2030. That's our goal. We don't necessarily need to sell 100 million products to do it. And so we've created a number of different partnerships with different organizations to help them bring sustainability to what they're doing or the small group of companies that's featured on our website is just a small sample of those companies that we're going to be talking about more in the coming year. But in addition to that, Climate Plus for us was this, it was kind of a fun opportunity for us to create something that that demystified your carbon footprint. I think one of the things that we really believe in is tangibility. When you think of your carbon footprint, when you think of organic cotton, when you think of recycled, like for a lot of people, it doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot. But for us, we've focused on creating, no matter what we do, we want to make it tangible. It's all about trees for us. And so for the idea behind Climate Plus was there's so many things that we're doing in our life that have a carbon footprint and we don't actually know about it or we don't understand it. And so we wanted to kind of have some fun with it and help our customers understand their footprint a little bit better. So we created a a ton of these packages to basically help people live a little more sustainably. Everything from basically plant the trees, plant enough trees to offset your life, your month, your day, to offset your smartphone, to offset the long showers you're taking during during quarantine and, and things like that. And it was it was kind of a fun opportunity for us to just actually have a conversation with our supporters that didn't require them to buy a product, but we could just talk about planting trees. And it was a super big success for us. We were really, we were blown away, frankly, by the number of people that wanted to just plant trees with us. Wow. I mean, this is so neat. Again, for the listeners, if you go to tentree.com and you click into their Climate Plus catalog, I mean, even one right here, you can plant with DeAndre Jordan, NBA All-Star. And you can even see here, like he's already planted 50,000 trees. What an interesting take on looping in 
different kind of marketing engines to rev up impact. Like I know Pangea or Pangea, I'm not sure if how you pronounce it, but another apparel brand. And they have a similar approach, right? That they do a collab with Jaden Smith or Just Water, et cetera. But ultimately, it it serves this broader impact-oriented goal of yours. Just, hey, these people have an audience already. Why not work together to get to that finish line? Is that how you think about partnerships of this nature? Like, what does a DeAndre Jordan partnership look like? Like, how does that, how does it actually come together? I mean, honestly, that there's so many people that have, to your point, an audience that's uh, different than ours, but they're individuals that want to have an impact and they want to share their values with their supporters. And, And I think that's really what's changed is in the last, call it decade, being having an audience and a platform, a lot of people now are using it to share their values with their supporters. And and people are asking for that. They want to understand what makes DeAndre Jordan tick, what makes these different celebrities, what do they care about? And for us, it kind of offered us an opportunity to speak to a different customer base. It offered these different partners to be able to share some of what they care about with their mm-hmm. supporters. And for us, it was just, it was a super fun initiative and it allowed us to amplify the the program a little bit more than it might've otherwise done. That's so neat. I want to transition a bit to actually running a business that happens to sell apparel. I think there's one category of e-commerce that is much simpler, which is, hey, You've created a single product, let's call it the iPhone. And yes, I mean, this is probably an oversimplification, but when it comes down to it, SKUs, the change between SKUs is the color of the phone. But when you get into the world of apparel, there's so much you need to do to balance this tension between, I think, your own design sense. Hey, this is what you think the community would want versus being just much more I guess more of a byproduct. Hey, we want this, so create it for us. So I'm interested. I, I look on the site. There's tons and tons of SKUs that are made for women, for men, kids, accessories. <laughs> Demystify that for the aspiring founder or listener that maybe has an admiration for the world of fashion but has no idea what goes on behind the scenes for the company to green light a particular skew that ends up on your website. Yeah, it's <laughs> we've talked about this a lot and on the one hand we're like we're a tree planting company that that sells apparel and our goal is to plant trees and for us it was in hindsight we sometimes reflect on it and we're like there's probably a lot easier ways to plant trees than building an <laughs> apparel brand. But I think What we've come to recognize is that there's something just very powerful about people's, how people purchase clothing. And historically, in and frankly today, it's such a reflection of their values. People put their dollars to work and, you know, what they put on their body is in so many ways, their way of saying outwardly, these are the things I care about, whether they're wearing Patagonia vest, whether they're wearing a certain type of shoes or something like that. And and so for us, apparel has 
while we kind of stumbled into it, it's proven to be a really powerful vehicle for us in so many ways as a result of that. Now, to the point of how do you decide on the SKUs? How do you grow? How do you, you kind of step from one SKU to the other? I think the biggest thing that, and, and frankly, we've stumbled our way into a lot of this, but it's, it's very much about starting focused. It's gr- creating a supporter base or a customer base that really believes in what you're doing and getting to them with a few key SKUs and then really understanding who that customer base is, what they care about, and what are some of the other things that they would like to see from you? What are some of the other gaps within, whether it's their wardrobe or their closet or their drawer, that they're looking for you as a brand to step into? And and I think when you create a true brand, a true sort of lifestyle brand, Mm -hmm. your supporters really, if they believe in you and, and, and love your product, they give you license to step into a lot of different things. The biggest thing for me, though, is that you start narrow and you continue to grow in in a measured way outwards because the best brands grow with depth before breadth. And frankly, early on, I think we actually did the opposite. We went breadth instead of depth, expecting depth to come. Um, But it's better to stay narrow and deep at the start. What you're telling me is you're like actually a masochist. (laughs) Yeah, effectively, yes. We've we've definitely stumbled our way into a lot of this. (laughs) That's super neat. You talked a bit about community at the top of the interview. A tactical question in terms of building and then supporting a community. Does this manifest in a certain tool? Is this a Facebook group? Is this uh, through IG, a Slack channel? Where does most of your kind of intimate conversation between brand and customer happen? A lot of it happens across our social platforms and Mm -hmm. in particular through Facebook groups. We have ambassador and influencer groups and things like that for people that are really tapped in. We've created different channels, um, small Instagram pages where they're private, where we're able to share design ideas with a thousand people and get really quick feedback and uh, things like that. So it, it tends to happen through our, through our social media channels. We haven't used so many tools to really facilitate it at this stage, but it's really been about how, to, how do we create an intimate connection with them. And so it, oftentimes I'll step in when, when I can and, and actually not necessarily facilitate, but actually be a part of some of these mm-hmm. conversations too. That's super interesting. I, I really like the private IG approach. Web Smith, do you subscribe to his 2 p.m. newsletter? I know of it, yeah. So one of the he, – he writes about all things commerce. And one of the templates for early success that he outlined for nascent peril or online first brand is to create a private Instagram Right, build it up to a couple hundred folks and do just that, like quite literally build the products in collaboration with this very small but hyper involved and engaged community before allocating major dollars to a campaign, a new product launch, a company launch for that matter. So it's interesting to see that being deployed in real life and at the scale that Tentry is today. One more tactical question I have for you before we zoom out is the notion of influencer. And 
uh, I think in the last year, what I've been really fascinated in is this notion of, I think, creators understanding the value of their existing distribution and saying, instead of doing ads, we're just going to create our own products. Uh, a couple larger influencers like Kylie popularized this, but I think over the last year, we've really seen that trend accelerate. So my question for you is, and this is more your advice to someone tinkering on an online first brand, like pre-wholesale, pre-offline, how much weight would you put on looping in an influencer, an individual with an existing audience so much that you might give them 25% of the company? Or are there still available tools where bootstrapping plus paid social is effective? What, what is your kind of strategic take on the power of influencer slash creator and how much weight and dollar aspiring brands and founders should put into that distribu- distribution approach? I think there is huge value in somebody that has an existing, active, very uh, strong community. I, I think there's a ton of value in that. I think what often gets put to the wayside is that it, it's not about one post. It's not about just one time talking about the brand or even two or three times. I The most powerful partnerships that I've seen are just that. They're partnerships. It's, it's like... LeBron James with Beats and giving them to the entire U.S. Olympic team. It's people that actually get ingrained in a product and are there for the ride and will be not just a sort of fair weather influencer, but actually help amplify the brand. If the person is really, truly almost a co-founder level of involvement, I think there's huge value in that and huge. And, and I think that's incredibly worthwhile. If mm-hmm. what you're looking for is somebody to just get your message out there a little bit faster and it's not going to continue to amplify it, then I think it's a short-sighted approach that likely won't end up having the return that people are hoping for. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Derek, last few questions before we part ways. I want to zoom out and just give you the opportunity to shout out another brand or two that you think is doing really interesting work. And it does not need to be inside fashion or apparel more broadly. It could be kind of any subcategory underneath this broader sustainability or climate umbrella. Who are you really intrigued with um, that's caught your attention over the last few years? A lot of the areas that we've we've focused on a lot are the end of life side of products and the companies that are doing some really innovative things on creating sustainable fabrics and materials that are natural. And, and there's so many companies that are doing this right now, but like one that we've worked with historically, they create fabrics and materials out of algae blooms. And we've worked with them to actually put that that foam, it's, it's a company called Bloom Foam, into the backpacks that we've created. And I, I think there's three or four companies in this space that are creating fabrics, Milo, Modern Meadow, that are creating really incredible fabrics and materials out of natural sort of processes. And, and historically, I think one of the challenges has been that 
a lot of people are using fabrics that just sound good. Bamboo historically was a big sort of sustainable fabric when in reality, the process to create it was actually worse for the environment than a lot of other things. And so with the companies that are really doing incredible things around fabric innovation and material innovation are thing are areas that I really, as an organization, we're really excited about. We're going to be partnering with some of those groups here too. That's super interesting. I had no idea on the bamboo thing too, because I know there's obviously a few toilet paper brands that have leaned into that messaging explicitly. Hey, we're better because we're bamboo. Um, now, the it, it's depending on the material. So in fashion in particular, that's an issue because to cur- turn it into a fiber that is stretchy, durable, can be woven into a t-shirt, the actual process to get it there tends to be incredibly energy intensive or have really bad byproducts to it. Oh, wow. Interesting. Noted. Question as we look forward over the next couple of years, what is a, a strategic initiative that you are super excited about? It could be a new category of apparel you're exploring. It could be wholesale opportunities, partnership, anything that you're able or willing to tease, I'd love to hear. Honestly, one of the areas that I think we're internally incredibly excited about tends to actually spill into the tree planting space. Uh-huh. One of the one of the things that we've, I said it before, is we want to plant a billion trees, but we don't need to sell 100 million products to do it. One of the things that we've recognized through a lot of our work within tree planting is this need for transparency, auditing, and ensuring that the work that we say is happening is actually happening. And and it's important for us as well, because we put ourselves in this fairly fallible position of saying, we're going to plant 10 trees. We're not saying that we're donating a percentage of proceeds, and hopefully this translates into a number of trees. We're actually committing to a number. And About two years ago, we started work on a project where we created what's effectively one of the world's first on-the-ground verification systems for global reforestation efforts. And it to the point where it collects data on the ground in rural Nepal, Peru, Madagascar, Canada. And what it does is you take form-based information on the ground on jobs that are created, on trees that are planted, time, date, GPS stamps it. And our system pulls all this information and turns it into reports, into timelines, into maps. And then it allows us to actually allocate the trees that are planted. And so that's also what what powers the the QR codes that are on every one of our products so that when you buy a piece of ten tree, you register your code, you find out where your trees are planted. Those trees are actually run through our system that it connects them to the work that's actually being done across the globe on the ground. So I think for us, it's about finding new and exciting ways to amplify. That's what's really getting us excited. And we're working with a number of our planting partners to really get that to the next level. We have to connect you to to Mark Benioff's, I don't know if it's a salesforce.org effort or part of time or something else, but we we got to get you connected to them. Uh, This sounds like a tool that everyone should be using. Um, Hopefully. (laughs) Derek, 
I love this last question of ever of ever of every interview. I'm I'm sure if you've listened to previous episodes, you're familiar with the idea graveyard. Um, but just to to quickly recap, this notion of the idea graveyard is we're probably in like that we have uh, a note in our notes app, uh, maybe a laundry list of ideas that maybe at one point we thought would be amazing. The next day we think is terrible or we think is still great. We just don't have the time to work on them. So my question for you is, what are one of these ideas that you'd love to work on if you had the time to do, but for the time being, is just rotting away in your idea graveyard? It's, uh, yeah, they, I'm sure the list could uh, be pretty long for us. <laughs> it goes back to what we said, which is if we, we want to plant trees, I'm sure there's easier ways to do it than creating a full on apparel business. We've had so many ideas internally about ways to amplify tree planting, to bring tree planting to other industries, other areas, to tell those stories differently. And ultimately, in our quest to plant trees, create incredible apparel, create sustainable product, oftentimes they end up getting left by the wayside. So I would say that we probably like the numbers too much to count, but the number of ways that we've kind of considered, oh, how can we amplify tree planting? How can we bring it to more people faster and in different innovative ways is something that where there's a lot of things, a lot of the post-it notes that have kind of never uh, seen the light of day. <laughs> Derek, you're an absolute boss, man. I, there's nothing left to do, but roll the red carpet. Are there any final call to actions, hiring needs, announcements, anything that you want to leave with our listeners? The floor is yours. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I think the biggest thing is we're uh, we're going to be hitting our 50 millionth tree planted in the next uh, just over a month here. We're really excited about it. We're going to be launching a little bit of video content around that and would love to get people's feedback on it. Love to have people help us share the message and help us plant some more trees. Oh, we'll make sure to, to post it on our channels. Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was This was a blast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey there, you made it to the outro. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you're new here, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much. We're actively casting for new guests on our show. So if you have a rock star founder or company in mind that's working on something cool, message me on Instagram at Peter A. Levin or email us, hello at ingothands.us. Thank you so much again and look forward to bring you another new episode next Tuesday.